morning. David uh, referred to uh, the difficulty of liturgy, especially in the 8.30 service. Uh, I said, then I guess this is the easy part. So um, so I'm up up here doing this. Um, Welcome. So glad to see everyone. Uh, Glad you are here. Uh, You can open up your Bibles to uh, Ephesians chapter 3. So we'll be looking at God's Word uh, this morning. As David uh, mentioned, we are continuing our, our sermon series on the spiritual disciplines uh, for the purpose uh, of godliness. And this morning, we will be looking at the spiritual discipline of prayer. Uh, The biblical commands and and references to prayer are plentiful. Uh, The Psalms are are full of prayers. In 1 Thessalonians, uh, Paul tells us to pray without ceasing. Uh, The disciples ask Jesus to Teach them to pray. Uh, Jesus used the phrase, when you pray, throughout the Gospels. And Jesus often withdrew by himself to go and pray. And I think, uh, when we think about prayer, that uh, most would agree that it is something that we should do. And if you regularly attend worship services here at Rivermont, you may realize that it's something that we value as a church. In a typical one hour or so service, uh, we have what, the silent prayer of preparation, the prayer of adoration and confession, the acclamation of praise, the prayer of illumination, the prayer for a right response to God's Word. We have the pastoral prayer, doxology, and an offertory prayer, which are all, again, in some form or fashion, types of prayer. And you, as the congregation, have the opportunity to pray along in your minds, or at times corporately, with those prayers, which is important and beneficial for your uh, spiritual growth. That's Sunday morning. What about prayer outside of Sunday mornings. I think the words awkward, distracted, and distant may describe your thoughts or feelings about prayer. Also, you may ask, what good does prayer really do? And if, if God already knows everything, why should I pray? And if we do pray right, it is oftentimes out of desperation. It's a a last resort. Uh, We're in a mess. We we have a big problem. Oftentimes a a problem that we've created on our own. Nothing else has worked. So let's let's try praying. Or maybe we we need or want something. Often a uh, material blessing. Or perhaps a certain result in our life. And I stand before you, I, I'm, I am not immune to this. God in His grace has blessed me with what I asked for. Then I promptly forget or have forgotten to thank Him for His kindness. Or act like it was something that I did in the first place. And an example from this uh, goes back to my senior year in high school. 
I, I believe, I, I truly believe that I was a believer. And we're, we're in a soccer game. Uh, we're in a match to go to the, the state playoffs. And I grew up in the Atlanta area. Uh, and soccer was a really big ordeal, a big thing. And the high school I went to, we we're playing our arch rival. And they beat us earlier in the season. They beat us 5-2. to two. And we went on after that to, to win uh, 13 straight games. 11 of those games were shutouts. We didn't give up a goal. So we're playing them again. And the score is 0-0 zero to zero. at the end of regulation. It goes to overtime. It's 0-0. Zero to zero. We go to penalty kicks. And I did not get chosen uh, to, play, uh, to take a penalty kick. I played defense. Goal scoring was for other people, not me. And I withdraw from the team, and I go to the other end of the field, and I pray. And yes, I was praying that we would win. <laughs> and by God's grace and His goodness, we won in penalty kicks. And it was actually uh, an exchange student from Denmark who lived with my family that my senior year who scored the winning goal. So I pray, and God is as good as answers that prayer, and what do I do? I forgot. But God, in His goodness, allowed that to happen and give Him the glory. So what do I do? I run and taunt our arch rival, and I high step in front of them. I've forgotten that God answered my prayer, and I was just praying out of selfish desire. And perhaps our prayer life is limited to desperation and our own selfish desires because prayer ultimately reveals the heart. And it scares us to know that the closer and more intimate that we become with God, the more sin He will reveal to us. And He will change us. And no one likes change. It's much safer and easier to view God as a vending machine who would give us something to, to reward our obedience. So we become content with just asking God to help us or give us want, what we want when it's convenient for us. Yet deep down, we know that there's more to prayer. There are areas in our life that do need to change. So how do we pray, and what should our prayers include? In Paul's prayer from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21, he gives us a good framework to use as we learn how to pray beyond our emergencies and desires. Let us read God's holy word. This is Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. Paul writes, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth 
and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this time to to come and dwell and to learn from your word. Lord, thank you for the eternal truth that it holds. And Lord, we know that these are spiritual things. And Lord, apart from your grace and apart from the power of your spirit, these are just words on a page. Lord, we need your help to understand these things. O Spirit, come. Come in a mighty and powerful way. Give us ears to hear, hearts to listen. O Spirit, change us. And Lord, I pray that during this time that I would decrease, that you would increase. And Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and redeemer. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. So four things we want to look at this morning, that we can pray for ourselves, And pray for each other. First, we should pray to be strengthened with His power. Or some translations may say His might. We see this in in verse 16. If you look at your text, Paul writes that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. And when we... When we hear that phrase and when we think about being strengthened with power, our thoughts most likely go to the external and to the physical. And And that that makes sense because we live in a world that loves power and a world that desires to lead and or cause change by using power. Or at least we can follow someone who has the power to make our desires a reality. But here, the power Paul has in mind for believers is not external. But Paul desires and prays that we would be strengthened with power in our inner being. Paul is speaking of the strength of character that informs the actions and attitudes of believers. This strengthening is the work of the Spirit. It does not proceed. It does not come from man's own ability. And once again, Scripture humbly reminds us that the start of our salvation and any increase in spiritual growth comes from the Holy Spirit. Everything and anything good in us is always the work of God. The power is that, that Paul was referring to here is the same power that he refers to in Ephesians chapter 1 when he, he explains how we become spiritually alive. Then in Ephesians 2, we are told how we are brought from death to life. It is the resurrection power of Christ that gives us new life. So why do we pray for Him? And why do we need to be strengthened with power in our inner being? Here are a few reasons. First, I would say to help us in suffering. 
Peter reminded us many times in our study uh, of 1 Peter that the Christian life is a life of suffering. And all Scripture confirms this. And we don't go out of our way to suffer. We do not choose suffering. But instead, we try to avoid it at all costs. And Christ, being fully man, He understands. He gets it, right? Because He was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And what did He pray? Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Jesus knew the pain and He knew the agony and He knew the suffering that was waiting for Him on the cross. But He prayed, not my will, Your will be done. So we pray that God would strengthen us with with His power so that we will be prepared to face and endure suffering. We also need to be strengthened with power so sin will no longer have a hold upon us. In our relationships at work or in the home, we face daily temptations to lust, gossip, steal, slander, and a lie, among other things. And some here, right, some here may be struggling with pornography. Just a little look will satisfy. Or the temptation to bend the financial numbers at work just to make things look a little better than they really are. Or lying and slandering someone at work to make sure that you're the one who gets the promotion. As we pray to be strengthened with His power, we can be confident that real change is possible. That our inner being is being changed. And also we need to be strengthened with His power to share the gospel. Right? So often we would get around unbelievers and we, what, we become timid. We become ashamed and feel like we, we don't know what to say, wh- where to start. And when we pray and ask to be strengthened with His power, we can be bold when we have opportunities to share the hope of Christ. In the words of eternal life to a person who does not know the Lord Jesus Christ. The power source, uh, power source for toys are batteries, for appliances, it's electricity, for cars, it's gasoline. The Christian life is powered by the Spirit. The strength from the Spirit of God in the inner being that we pray for is the best and it's the most desirable strength. It brings strength to our souls and gives us strength to serve the Lord God Almighty. This is why we pray to be strengthened with His might. Secondly, we can pray for ourselves and for others that we will be rooted and grounded in love. Read verse 17 if you look at your text. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. And Paul here, he's using two metaphors to help us understand what this means. The first metaphor is from agriculture, that we're rooted in love. The idea of being rooted in love 
teaches us that love is something that nourishes us. Love helps us become like a tree with deep roots. Yesterday, I bought two trees. And I will plant them in our our front yard in the next couple days. And I want these trees to have strong and deep roots so that they can thrive and they can flourish. When we love, we are firmly planted in our faith and reflecting the love of Christ to those around us. And we thrive as the people of God. The second metaphor is from architecture. Established would probably be a a better translation than grounded. When a building is established or grounded, it sits upon a solid foundation. So the picture for the believer is love being the foundation that our lives are established on. Built upon the cornerstone, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we pray that we would be rooted and grounded in love. Our roots of love grow deeper. And our foundation of love is so strong that whatever comes our way, we can endure. And we can trust God's sovereign hand and know that all things work together for good. The more rooted and established we become, by God's grace, we begin to comprehend something. What is that something? Starting halfway through verse 17 in your text, we read this, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ. We will be able to comprehend one of the greatest mysteries known to man. The love of the Lord Jesus Christ. So next, we pray that we would know this love. The love of Christ is a subject which ought to occupy our daily thoughts and nightly meditations and in which should be the driving force for all our wants and desires. Do you want everything that God has for you? Do you want the full measure of His grace? You need to be filled with and know the love of Christ. And this is why we pray that we would know this love. The more we know the love of Christ, the more we will love those around us for His sake. The more we will seek to serve others and advance His kingdom. Why is the love of Christ so significant? It is the love of Christ that saved sinners like us, that redeemed us, that reconciled us, and brought us back into relationship with the Holy God. This love, as Paul tells us in verse 18, is broad, it's long, it's high, and it's deep. John Stott says this about verse 18. The love of Christ is broad enough to encompass all mankind. Long enough to last for eternity. Deep enough to reach the most degraded sinner. And high enough 
to exalt Him to heaven. The unbeliever often measures God's love on the basis of their circumstances. We do not measure God's love on the basis of our circumstances, but rather on the character of God that is revealed in the width, height, length, and depth of the love of Jesus, which was on full display as he hung on a cross for us. And it's probably no accident that Paul chose the words that he did. This is the love of Christ, and that is what we pray that we would know. It is for very good reason that in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, Paul writes, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Paul got it. He understood that the, that the cross is the full expression of the love of God. And that is the only thing worth knowing. That is why we pray that we would know the love of Christ. And John Calvin says this in referring to the love of Christ. He, he writes, He who is in possession of this alone has enough. Beyond it there is nothing solid, nothing useful, nothing in short that is proper or sound. And as if that is not enough, Paul tells us in verse 19, that the love of Christ, what does it do? It surpasses knowledge. It is greater, bigger, and better than anything, we, we, than anything else we could ever know. And most of us, right, we know a lot of useless things that are only good to help us win restaurant trivia nights or, or watching Jeopardy. And this love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, reminds us that we are finite creatures. And we have limits to our understanding. Like a child, right, who stretches his arms as wide as he can and asks mom or dad, do you love me this much? The parent knows that their love for their child is much wider than the child's arm could ever stretch. The child has limited understanding of how deeply loved he is by his parents. He can't comprehend it. And Paul tells us, we don't get it either. We can't even begin to fathom how much God loves us. God's love is so much more than we could ever imagine. So we pray and ask God that we know the love of Christ, which surpasses understanding. And finally, we pray that we would be filled with the fullness of God. Through the years, I've had many students tell me, I don't, I don't know what to pray for. And my answer is just usually, usually simply this. Just pray that you be like, more, more like Jesus. You can always pray to be more like Jesus. Why? Our goal as believers is to become like Christ. The previous three things we pray for, being strengthened with His might, rooted and grounded in love, and to know the love of Christ, they build upon each other. And they lead to being filled with the fullness of God. I mentioned earlier, right, we do not like change. But if we consistently pray what Paul teaches us, change will happen. 
and it is a good change. We will be growing in godliness and becoming more and more like our Savior. So we pray to this end as well. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul tells us that the measuring stick for the fullness of God is Jesus Christ. He writes in chapter 4, verse 13, Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Paul also tells us in Colossians 1 that the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Christ. And as we pray to be filled with the fullness of God, the things of this world will become less and less important. The things that lure us away, the things that distract us, the things that preoccupy our thoughts and take up time each and every day, they slowly fade away. Harry Ironside said this, The secret to holiness is heart occupation with Christ. As we gaze upon Him, we become like Him. Do you want to become like Christ? Let the loveliness of the risen Lord so fill the vision of your soul that all else is shut out. Then the things of the flesh will shrivel up and disappear, and the things of the Spirit will become supreme in your life. And yes, right, we may struggle, and there's going to be low points in life, and we're going to walk through some deep and dark valleys, but we pray and we ask that we are filled with the fullness of God, trusting that this is happening one degree after another, and knowing that He, God our Father, He who began a good work in us, will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. And the true beauty of being filled with the fullness of God is that God is an eternal being. And we will have all eternity to be filled with the fullness of God. There will never come a point where we are completely full. Because He has no beginning, He has no end, and His wisdom... His honor, His love, and His glory going forever and ever and ever. So we pray that we are filled with the fullness of God. So what do we do? Right? I, I realize that it's easy to think, man, these, these are some pretty lofty uh, goals here. Pretty high standard. It can be overwhelming. In our default mode, right, it's like, why, why even try? Just kind of check out. I would say this. We are needy people. And the one we need the most is the one who created us. And he created us to be in relationship with him. And the means he gave us to communicate with him is prayer. And yes, these are lofty things. But Paul reminds us, what God is capable of in verse 20. Look at your text. Paul writes, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. Again, guys, it's not based upon us. It's based upon God. And I don't know about you, that makes me feel much, much better about what would happen if we started to pray as the body of Christ, if we started to pray consistently as the people of God. So I encourage you to start praying on your own. 
and your small groups. And please come today at 4 o'clock p.m. to the church prayer service. And may we as the body of Christ start praying that we would be strengthened with His power, that we would be rooted and grounded in love, that we would know Christ's love, and that we would be filled with the fullness of God, trusting that He is able to do far more abundantly than we ask or think. To Him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, we are grateful for Your Word. Lord, thank You for the gift of prayer. Thank You that we can come before Your throne. And Lord, we can come before Your throne with, with boldness and confidence because of what Christ has done for us. He is our great High Priest. Oh Lord, teach us to pray. Give us humble hearts and help us to remember to pray. And Lord, as Your Word tells us, as, as we think about these things, let us not be simply hearers of the word of God, but Lord, that we would be doers of your word. Oh Lord, grant us grace, grant us strength, so fill us with your spirit. We need you, and we pray all these things for the sake and advancement of your kingdom. Amen.